Hey, everybody, and welcome to another episode of the Roots Podcast. As always, I'm Carter Spires, with my co-host Matthew Bartlett, the founder and managing editor of The Roots, your premier source for Rice Sports news and analysis. Well, uh, the we have officially gained a little bit of distance from the end of the 2020 season. Uh, we are here to do our annual Roosties, uh, the third annual Roosties at this point, which is it's insane that we've been doing the podcast this long. I guess we did just hit 100 episodes, so that kind of hammers it home in a different different way. But uh, yeah, here we are. And y'all just keep coming back. Thank you for that. If you if you made it through yeah. three seasons, and even if you hadn't, we're glad that you're here now. Um, or at least so we said metaphorically here. <laughs> yeah, you're you're here in the way that all listeners of podcasts are in their weird parasocial relationships uh, with the hosts. Hopefully some of you uh, think of us as your pals, just like we, just like I do with some of my favorite podcast hosts, even though that's not entire, not really the case at all. But um, you know, if you ever see us in person, say hi, we'd love to be, we'd love to be actual pals, but anyway. uh, So we said last week we would, um, had planned to do some coaching discussion on last week's episode and then uh, ran long as we are wont to do. Uh, so we didn't get time for that. We said we'd do it in this episode, but after thinking about it, there's not, we did a whole uh, rant about this, shall we say. I did a whole rant. We had a discussion. <laughs> it was a uh, good rant. I, I, I felt good about quality. that rant. It was like debate. You get scored for the quality of your argument, regardless <laughs> of the side. I feel like it was a quality rant. Um. I don't think we there's really anything to be said right now for us to say that we didn't say then. So yeah, we're going to go ahead. Yeah. And I was I was going to add in that I don't I, I think a lot of what we said there, like you were saying, makes sense. And I don't know if too much changed with the result. That was right before. This, uh, ooh, that would have been right before the UTEP game, I believe. Yes, I think. Yeah. So. so one and one down the stretch. I don't think anything tremendously changed after that no and anything that did or just kind of bigger picture so i know that carter and i can give our thoughts on this and y'all are here to listen so some of some of you care about that but i sat down with joe carlgaard the athletic director rice for an hour oh in transitive space time i guess about a a week at time of recording ago and have kind of been pulling notes together so i just kind of talked to him i'm like you know the decision to bring Bloomgren back, and how he how confident he was that Bloomgren was the right guy. Kind of his contract, what's going into the future, and then just kind of key decisions. I know tangible progress. I'm doing air quotes with kind of the buzzword that kind of got people hot and bothered on Twitter last week. <laughs> and so I just asked him. I'm like, you know, is this tangible project progress? How do you measure it? What are your what were your decision points to kind of come to this decision? So I'm gonna have. I'm, I've outlined kind of the piece that I'm putting together right now. That's going to be up on Patreon. So go ahead and, and hop over there. Probably sometime this week, it'll be there. And if you're not subscribing and you haven't bit the bullet yet and do it, you should do it so you can get Carl Guards. His thoughts, he's the decision maker here. We're just talking heads at this point. I guess I've never understood that. I guess it's talking voices on a podcast, but whatever it is. <laughs> Whoever we are, we'll give you our thoughts. But if you want his words, uh, go ahead and jump on the Patreon, patreon.com slash at the roost. Subscribe now in December. You'll get access to, of course, everything that's already been on there. But more importantly, we have signing day. Well, I guess the early signing period in. in yeah, yeah, but it, it's signing day now, though. 
it's not the February, it the February, well, the February one doesn't it's, even matter. It's, it's interesting. As another aside to our aside to our aside, Rice is going to come in with about probably 11, 12, 13, somewhere in the a dozen or so commits because kind of they were kind of building together as the news was unfurling about what the signing limits and scholarships restrictions were going to be on this class and the coming class. So Rice actually might sign about half now and half next year. So the years prior, it's kind of been like uh, 18 to 20-ish in December and 5 to 7 in February through the summer. So I think you might see maybe a little bit more back-ended. And with the transfer portal going bonkers, it might make sense to hang on and wait and see who shakes out. There will definitely be some... It will be a, uh, I guess if the schools are the buyers in this case, it will definitely be a buyer's market in the transfer portal this year as it has been, but uh, even more so this year. Um, yeah. So Patreon will have signing day notes, kind of debrief. I know just from as a fan, my perspective was always just like, I don't know. I haven't been following all these kids all year. Tell me who they are and, and why they matter and which ones are going to be a big deal. I know that coming out, the comp for DeBraylon Carroll given by Mr. Mike Bloomer himself was Aaron Donald. And when he said that to me on the early signing period, I said, oh, and he said, no, 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 he's not going to be Aaron Donald. And I'm like, I, I heard you, but I heard you. So <laughs> if you want to know who these kids are, we'll have more on there. And of course, Carter and I will, will debrief on the podcast, too. So lots coming on. I think that's enough on coaching and recruiting, which we're not even talking about on this episode. We're talking about the Roosties. The third annual Roosties, and we have, adding up, what do we have? Ten awards to hand out this year to players, games, etc., as needed. All right. Insert imaginary drum roll. <laughs> uh, so our first one coming up is favorite play. Um, I kind of had a hard time with this one. Like, not that there were, weren't, like, plenty of good plays, but there wasn't, like, I struggled to find kind of one play that was sort of like a signature moment. Full and disclosure, I, I kind of skipped around. Like I had the list of all 10 and I kind of filled out easiest. And this was probably last or second to last. Oh, yeah, no, this, this one took a while for me. Um, I ended up going with and I think this is a I, I'm satisfied with this one. Um, but Gabe Taylor sealing their last one of the season to get their most wins since 2015. Um and in the season on a high note, um, getting an interception on the anniversary of his brother's death to seal the last win. Um, and also that just kind of was a summation of, of Gabe kind of growing into that role this season and becoming kind of the player we hoped he might be when he was Rice's highest rated recruit ever. Um, and, you know, we had talked about that he uh, wasn't highly recruited because, you know, he's small and he had played like one year of high school football, but he had like 10 interceptions in that year. Um, like t- 10 pick sixes and like 12 or 14 interceptions. Yeah, it was, it was insane. Silly. Yeah. But him starting to really, you know, become the player they hoped he could be and become that ball hawk uh, in the secondary. And then to just seal the the last game of the season to get a win on that play. Uh, I, I think I feel good about that one. That's really good and really interesting. That wasn't what what kind of I was mulling through as my options, but it's I think it it contrasts well with my favorite play of the year. My favorite play of the year was the touchdown pass from Wiley Green to August Pete against Arkansas. 
I thought about that one. Um, in, I in felt the... like it because it, I mean, it was such a fun moment. And then it uh, the way but, the rest of the season went, like, that was such a high point. And then. But that's that was exactly it for me. Uh, yeah, I'm like, if you just if you just called curtains and, you know, like, you know, like you're watching TV or streaming something and it just freezes like connection lost. <laughs> like if you just unplug the rice season at that moment and rice, I think it was 17 to seven with that touchdown pass in the third quarter rice is beating Arkansas. If you just unplugged at that point and I had no idea how the rest of the season went, I would have just had a warm, fuzzy feeling inside. It was definitely <laughs> the like, the like high point of like hope and good feelings for this season. Uh, so yeah, no, I definitely thought about that one. Cause that was, when I first got, like, because favorite play, I think the way you ought to go about that one, at least at first, is to think, like, what was the play that made me, like, jump up and yell because I was so excited? And uh, that was probably, that was probably the first thing that came to mind on this one. Yeah, I think the the other ones that I was kind of thinking about, at least another one on offense was the, I don't what was the official tally? Was it 75 yards? for the, the touchdown run from Cam Montgomery uh, to close out, I guess, put Rice, uh, man, further ahead. I'm trying to remember what the score was at that point. I guess they were, it, it's all blurred together. The last game of the season against Louisiana Tech that, that Cam had that 75-yard touchdown run. Yeah. Uh, I believe I think, was, I think it was 70 is 70 because I actually, I have Cam for something down later and I wrote that. There we 70. go. Yeah. So that, that was cool. It was it was the longest touchdown run that Rice has had in a very very long time for one. But two, you know we don't we don't t- tend to talk about the guys who are hurt all the time because they're not on the field. But Cam has had not one but two kind of season ending injuries up to this point and was kind of a I I walked onto campus and I looked at the roster and this would have been in 2018. I looked at the roster and I said. There's somebody listed on the roster at five foot six. And I'm like, that means he's not five foot six. That means he's five foot four and they're feeling generous. Yeah. And he's a division one FBS football player. I was like, I don't believe it. So to go from that to hitting that home run, I was I was really happy. Yeah, that actually leads into our second one, which is the player you were most wrong about or the biggest surprise. And I kind of just sort of listed some candidates here. I think I settled on one. Um, the other players I thought about to look at this from both sides, I guess, to pick kind of one in an, a couple in a negative light and a couple in a positive light. Um, the couple the couple I was sort of most wrong about in a negative sense were Luke McCaffrey, who we kind of talked about, uh, you know, we were perhaps over optimistic or unrealistically high in our expectations of what he could have done coming in so late. And Kalen Griffin, who we kind of thought might take an additional step this year, but but just didn't yet. And that's fine. You know, growth is not linear. One of my favorite sayings um, in a positive sense. I had another one who I think will be my final choice, but Cam was one of them. You know, he. I had kind of given up on the idea of him really contributing much in his career. Um, and he didn't do much for most of the year, but then, you know, he's kind of, they, they got him some more touches in the last three games. And uh, in the last three games, he had 220 yards on 27 total touches, 26 carries and one reception. 
which is 8.1 yards per touch. He had plays of 70, 70 and 43 yards in the last two games. And even in that third to last game against, uh, what was He had that? the 50-yard touchdown that got called back for stepping out of bounds. Yeah. Yeah. And also had plays of, like, uh, he had a run of 19 yards in that one. So, like, like that's what we all envisioned him, like, potentially being. You know, have, have a guy who gets, like, five to ten touches, like, mostly, like, schemed touches in the game and is able to break, like, one of those a game for a huge play. And him finally getting into that role was really awesome to see. My final choice ended up being Ari Broussard. Um, not so much that I was wrong about, but, like, you know, he was a nice story. I remember way back in the spring of 2019 when they didn't have anybody. So he got converted over to running back from walk-on linebacker and was a nice story then. And then last year they had some injuries and Kalen had some fumbling issues. So they got him some carries. It's like, hey, that's cool. Like the, the guy got some carries and he like ran really hard. This year he led the team in carries and in rushing. So, um, yeah, that's yeah. pretty awesome. That's <laughs> It's it's funny because there's so many at this point. I don't know what the the benchmark for average number of walk-ons becoming core integral pieces of your team is. I would imagine it's something that happens at most programs every now and then. But I feel like Isaac Klarkowski, another walk-on on the offensive side of the ball. You have Ari Broussard. Treshawn Devones technically walked on. It's just interesting. Yeah, that's a good one. I I kind of went through that list too. I think for me, the ones that I was kind of at the end dueling back and forth with were were Luke McCaffrey and Jake Constantine because I I left spring just kind of being bummed out because at that point Wiley had kind of run away with the competition and had been fine, but there wasn't anything really that I'd seen from Wiley at that point to suggest that he was capable of, I don't know, having the game of his career and running rough shot over UAB. I didn't see that coming, but so maybe I was wrong about Wiley touche, but, but Jake at that point had kind of come in and was running behind green at that point. And we'd had, he's now, I guess the fourth consecutive grad transfer that Rice has brought in. And to see him, it felt like the gap between him and Wiley was so big coming out of spring ball that when Bloomgren told me that he was going to Constantine to start against Texas Southern, I was like, it's because Wiley and McCaffrey are hurt, right? Not because Constantine can actually do this. And he did this. And he was arguably the most impressive quarterback that Rice put on the field this season. And there were four of them. Yeah, I... I honestly, if you were to do it purely objectively, I think Jake Constantine is probably the best answer here in terms of biggest surprise, but he was in the running for, or like going to be like, I could have put him for like four different things here. And right. yeah, I, I picked one, I picked one that was going to be his award and uh, I, he'll get some discussion in other places, but I, I, um, I, I I disqualified him from this one, even though he's correct. He's he's <laughs> probably objectively the, the that's the ex- an acceptable choice. response. Yeah. So he was the one. I I, I got to end up with Luke McCaffrey at the end, and I think it's probably the, the juxtaposition of just the quarterback position as a whole 
to see him get to the end of the year and still not have all the pieces together. I think for me, because because of how the situation was kind of teed up, because he was such a marquee name and a highly rated transfer, I feel like if, you know, and maybe this is a mistake on my part on the reporting front and not really doing full due diligence and and really assessing how far that gap was because it, I feel like the coaching staff and everyone told me like, he's not ready. He's not ready. I was like, but surely, surely. And I'm like, maybe I should have just listened to them. And if I would have set level expectations for, yeah, maybe this is the, the Giovanni Johnson role or something this year. And it's not, you know, go take rice to a bowl game because they have to get there. So Maybe that's on my end. But, yeah, I think that the disappointment on the Luke McCaffrey front was as expectations-based as anything else because what we did see of the offense that he was comfortable with and asked to execute, he did pretty good. So I'm still optimistic. So, yeah, I'll give that one to Luke McCaffrey on the downside and Constantine on the up. Yeah. Um, More discussion about that position for most improved unit which gives away my answer. Um, oh, I, I didn't said, even think about the quarterbacks. That's yeah, <laughs> so I, I went with quarterback here. And I, what I would say about this one is none of them were as good as Mike Collins was when he was on last year, on and healthy. Um, but last year at that position, Rice was pretty much cooked when, McCaff, when Mike Collins was not playing. This year, they played four different quarterbacks, and three of them led Rice to wins. And none of them were the, like, highest star recruited player to ever, star rated player to ever, like, set foot on Rice campus. So um, this one is not, like, normally if you were going to put quarterback for this unit, you would guess that it was like, ah, they got a really good starting quarterback. But I think it's Uh, fair because we're talking position in this case. It literally was the entire room. Like, the whole unit, a quarterback, and they needed the whole room was pretty good this year. So and and that is a a, a sea change from years past, shall we say? Um, again, yeah, I it's interesting. To... I'm I'm just kind of looking together because it was it was Jake Constantine who came in and had the wins over Texas Southern and Southern Miss. Wiley Green beat UAB, and then the Louisiana Tech game was McCaffrey McMahon tag team. And still with the the shift, they were still able to put up. You know, three touchdowns a game down the stretch. Yeah, that's pretty good. I the quarterback is a very good answer. <laughs> I can, yeah, I, I think I just kind of locked in and just didn't look past it. Mine is also on the offensive side of the ball, and I think it's something that we have been postulating would be a strength for four years now, and hasn't been. And it was the wide receivers. Yeah. And that was with Brad Rosner being out because we did this. We said during the season, there's on paper, everything about this receiving core, if they stay healthy, should be great. And they they stayed healthier losing Brad Rosner. They lost Pete for a good chunk of this and they didn't have Jake Bailey on the field at the end of the game. But Kobe Campbell stepped up and when, when Jake Bailey went down, Kobe Campbell immediately filled in. And had a couple big catches. I think he had a third down grab. I was the the wide receiver court, like they made plays. Said Patterson made plays and became a dude, like a guy that Rice can trust to make big plays. That the catch that he had from TJ McMahon to to win the game against Louisiana Tech, he was getting mugged 
when that ball came in and still managed to haul it in. It was it was absolutely refreshing that, yeah, the quarterback play was better, and I think that helped, but it also helped that the quarterbacks didn't have to be perfect anymore. They yeah, just they had all had dudes good. to throw to. And Rice, I mean, like, Rice actually went, and it was rare that they were all healthy and going at the same time, but Rice actually had three different dudes at wide receiver, like, really contribute, which is a major change from years past. Um, so, yeah, it wasn't the full-on, like, explosion of depth and playmaking that we maybe our like pie in the sky dreams would have led us to but like in terms of like realistic outcomes what we got out of the wide receivers here especially if you would have put in advance that brad rosner was going to be out um to get all great contributions from basically like the next three guys down and have then have a few other guys step up in key spots um yeah, no, wide receiver is definitely one I thought about for this one because because it was very encouraging to see what we got out of them this year. Yeah, that was I, that that stood out immediately to me. I'm like, you can tell me that this offense can take flight through the air. Like they weren't. We got to remember, middle of the season, they weren't running the football well <laughs> at all. They, yep. they, they were able to come to win games and to to kind of make their push through the air, and that was as much the the receiving core as it was was the quarterbacks. All right. Uh, next one, uh, a less happy award, the player or game, the play or game that you most want to redo. Um, I figured since game was acceptable and play was acceptable, it was okay to go somewhere in between. Sure. And my, my choice is uh, we make the, the, last, the last half of the fourth quarter against Charlotte because they – had a 10-point lead with seven minutes to go and blew it. And I thought long and hard about doing North Texas here, and I think that would be a good answer because they had just had that huge win against UAB, and North Texas didn't have any wins against FBS teams to that point. Obviously, uh, they improved over <laughs> the end of the season, shall we say. Um, but... You know, they were down in that one and it came back to tie it at the end. Um, maybe you could say you want you would love to get overtime back against those guys. But um, that one was just like ugh, it was a bad game and they made this comeback, but just couldn't quite, you know, make it in overtime. Charlotte was just like they had a 10 point lead toward the end of the game and just just blew it. And it 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 stank. And that that one more than anything was the game that really like left a bad taste in my mouth in terms of a game that really Rice should have won and did not. Hmm. Yeah, I I thought about the overtime games, and at the end of the day, I it was one of those things that I feel like there were some schematic things, and there were some just some coaching decisions that I was like, I think those those are games that like you didn't win this time, but. You know, and this goes to the coaching discussion. If if better decisions can be made and, and and plays can be made, people can we can have Brad Rosner on the field for some of those third downs. Like I it is what it is. I'll throw it out with a wash. I, I, not, I guess, the, not the same part of the game, but let's say the uh, uh the Charlotte game does come up again in one of my one of my remaining categories. Yeah. So my I I'm gonna go back all the way to the beginning of the year to a play that I've almost forgotten about. I was kind of mulling through and actually it was, Oh, was, I think I know what you might be talking about. when I was, when I was looking through the Arkansas game, cause I'm still in, is it I was, when I was Chamberlain to, almost tackled KJ Jefferson in the backfield and they broke it for a huge game. That would have been, 
that would have been a good one, but it was right before that sequence, I believe, in the second. I wouldn't know that 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 big touchdown run was the they they get that in the first half or the second half. Yeah, that was the first half. Yeah, 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 it, it was the first half. No, I'm thinking there was a sequence in the Arkansas game where Rice has that long touchdown to August Pete. Arkansas immediately answers with a touchdown drive of their own. Then Rice gets the ball back, drives down into the red zone, and turns the ball over on downs in the red zone. And oh, yeah, I do remember that. That was the moment where I had the the, the just the just the it felt like that the one sinking like, feeling. Yeah, where you're just like, okay. They didn't score. If they would have scored, if Rice, if Rice can get in the end zone, in the red zone there at that point, then you're like, okay, it's it's 24 to 14. You have a 10-point lead in the middle of the third quarter. Actually, at that point, there was four minutes left in the third quarter. And you're like, okay, that was the point where it felt like it was anybody's game again because you're only up by a field goal. If Rice had gotten a touchdown there, you're it's a two-score game and you're pushing into the fourth quarter. It's like, yeah, they still got the edge, but this is real. And that's that was kind of the moment when I went went and looked back where it felt like if August, the August Pete touchdown was like, whoa, on the way up, that was the point where it just started to crumble. And so I and I don't I don't know if the season turns out differently if Rice beats Arkansas, but for how close that game was for so long, it felt like yeah. one that Rice could have won even if they didn't deserve to. It was very, yeah, like if they had gotten that one, maybe Arkansas has to press a little bit more and makes an extra mistake and maybe they still come back. But like Rice just manages to make one play or Arkansas makes one more mistake near the end and you hold on and win it like, I don't know, 24 to 21 instead of losing 38 to 17. And the perception, I feel like the perception of the program is just. Even say say you still get to what four five five wins with that. If you're five wins and and one of them is over UAB and the other one's over Arkansas, it was kind of yeah. like we talked about last year with the Marshall win. Like throw out the rest of the season. I know it. You can't. You don't. And you want the other wins too. But like that, I just I feel like that was. I, I don't know when the next time Rice is going to have a bona fide opportunity to beat an SEC team in their own stadium and i feel like at that moment rice was i don't know what the in-game probability would have been but it would have been like 30 or 40 percent which if you would have taken that at any point against any power five team of that caliber i would have said yes so i guess i'm still not over what was that september 5th 4th (laughs) it's been a while but yeah so that that was the the game i want to redo or that that moment both that that's not fair. the game because I think if the game is redone, Rice still probably loses by thirty. <laughs> but yeah, and doesn't give us the high point to begin with. Right. <laughs> All right. Next we have the player you'll miss the most. Um, and I thought about this for a long time and decided that I would go with a player who just had a long and great career and just seemed to continuously get better, even very late, in a way that most players don't. And was just a feel-good story for, I don't know, basically the last three years. Like, not Rice's best or most exciting player or a guy that they will, um, like, have incredible difficulty replacing. But I'm going to go with Elijah Garcia. 
Hey, who, me too. Yeah, just like, just like a, a guy that you could not stop rooting for. And one again, like he was a six-year senior this year, and just like he tied for the team lead in tackles. Like, just to got like it's rare to see a guy stick around that long and just continue to improve as he did. Like I remember there were a few plays in that Arkansas game where he like stood up against a double from SEC interior lineman, which is like pretty impressive for a CUSA interior DL. Um, so yeah, there were NFL scouts to out at rice to see, to scout multiple times this year, several times, and they would walk right over to the defensive side of the ball and go look at Elijah Garcia and uh, Akina in as well. But I vividly remember a conversation from, it would have been, oh, DeBrelin Carroll and Isaiah Floyd were the 2020 signing class. Is that right? Uh, yes. Putting it together. I, I remember. They were con- true freshmen last year. Yeah. Right. I remember a conversation with a defensive line coach Cedric Calhoun where he basically said, I'm like, look, how do you not play both of these guys? Because DeBraylin was DeBraylin, had been defensive MVP of Duncanville, one of the greatest high school defenses in that year ever. And Isaiah Floyd, I don't know what he can power lift, but it was like, what, like a billion pounds or something like that? Um, it was insane. Yeah. I saw, I'm like, how do you not put both of those guys on the field as true freshmen right now? And he said, well, Elijah Garcia is there, but... I've told them you have to earn your spot or they're taking it. And that was the point where I was just kind of assumed, okay, I've heard this, that the coach challenges the veteran who's been there before to earn your spot and they try, but the, the new kid's just too talented and they make the movie out of the new kid coming from behind, beating out the, the vet. But no, like he, he did not only did Isaiah Floyd uh, not get the job, Isaiah Floyd didn't really play at all. Mm-hmm. Because they were were not taking Elijah Garcia off the field. And he earned that last year and he earned that this year. I mean, to lead the team in in tackles from the interior of the defensive line is is pretty that's, impressive. Yeah, like that's it's, rare. it's supposed to be a linebacker because they have the range to get everywhere. It's not supposed to be someone from the secondary. It's supposed to be a linebacker, and it's definitely not supposed to be a interior defensive lineman. And granted, he played everywhere, but just hats off. Very impressive. I will miss him a lot, even when DeBraylin's back. So we are in agreement there. Um, next, I didn't up, even think about any like that one was just like yeah, no, no that was I think I felt like an easy one. Um, next up, out of nowhere, star again. I think this could have been a Jake Constantine. Um, probably should have been a Jake Constantine. I decided he had an obvious choice here. So for this one, I went with Josh Piercy. Um, oh, maybe that's star. A good one. Maybe star is an exaggeration, but like a guy who I had actually had to go back and check. He was in the two deep for the Arkansas game um, and, and definitely a guy that, you know, like they were sort of high on coming in. The guy that, that thought had some potential, but um, he led. He was second on the team in sacks and with four and a half. Elijah had five and a half and fourth in tackles. So Elijah and Naeem Smith both had 64 and Antonio Montero had 60 and Josh Piercy had 57. Like, maybe star isn't really the right word here, but, like, he's not a guy who I would have expected to be among the, like, statistical leaders and best and most consistent players on this defense, and he was. He just came out and consistently made an impact the whole year. 
No, I think that's really good. And when you look at, I think it's interesting because when when Kenneth Orgy came back into the game, the the rotation aspect between those two players was was very evident. Josh Piercy played a lot when Orgy was healthy. And I think there were even a handful of packages where they put them on the field together. But I think that speaks to because if you were going to kind of go through the front seven as, as far as players that you, that you either us or the Rice coaching staff would have had the most confidence in, uh, Orgy would have been up there. It would have been him and Elijah Garcia and Akina. Those kind of would have been the three that like, well, these guys can't come off the field if you're counting Treshawn as a secondary member he'd be number one probably if, yeah if he wasn't but still the fact that not only did piercy earn his time but didn't give it back i thought that was pretty impressive that's a good one i didn't really cross my mind that's because my my brain locked in on on ari broussard as we kind of talked about most wrong about yeah. i i i kind of especially because he's been the spring star now a couple times where he's just kind of had those big games i was just skeptical that I didn't think that he wasn't capable of it. And maybe maybe Josh Piercy surprised me to the degree that, like, you know, wow. Like, he might have actually been better than I thought he was. I thought Ari, I kind of feel like Ari was who he was. Like, he was a, a bruiser. Maybe he had a bit more explosiveness. I'll give him that, than I might have thought he yeah. before. But I, I, I just didn't envision a scenario where... He was playing, really, like, honestly. Right. And if he was playing, it, it, it kind of clicked for me midway through the season when Jordan Myers got nicked up a little bit and Ari Broussard became the third down back. I think that kind of happened right around after the bye. Right. When he was on the field on third down, I was like, oh, to be the third down back in this offense, to be trusted, to be the pass blocker, pass catcher, and run the ball, that's... That's as, as, as trusted a position as possible. So when right. he got that role, I was like, okay, I, Ari Broussard, you're here. And now it's the point where I know we're going to make our wish list and go through the next recruiting class. I think getting a running back or two or three has got to be at the top of Rice's wish list. Yeah. And at this point, I, I kind of think Ari has a role. Yeah, no, I think that's... I'd kind of be surprised if he didn't, honestly. I, I don't think it's 20 carries a game. I think it's no, probably, probably five or six, but yeah. Out of nowhere. That's a good one. <laughs> All right. And finally, not not finally, as in not finally, as in this is the last one, but finally we get to where I have been saving Jay Constantine for, which is the most valuable transfer award. Um was there anything else, anybody else on this list that kind of made you hesitant? Because I, it, Jake Constantine had to run away from me too. Um, before when I was like not fully thinking about, I was more considering Jake for like out of nowhere or player you were most wrong about. Uh, I had Trey Patterson down for this one, so I think he is the. Um, uh, I, I don't think he is like objectively the best choice or even a good choice necessarily compared to Jake for this award, but he's like a clear second, I guess I would say. Yeah. I think that if I was kind of rolling through the list of who could I even pick here, um, Constantine and McCaffrey at the quarterback position, uh, Patterson mentioned a wide receiver, the other transfer pieces, Des Baker at linebacker, 
a kind of a, a sparing kind of started a couple of games. Uh, Christian Van Sickle, who became the I guess he did kickoffs and what the three field goals that Rice attempted. So like yeah. this was not we've had years in the past where I mean, we Rice had a class where they they signed three offensive linemen out of the transfer portal and started them all. So we've had years that were particularly transfer heavy. This one really wasn't. So there weren't no. really that many options. No, not nearly as many choices as there have been in years past. Um, Which is okay. Yeah, yeah. No, mostly a good thing. Yeah, um, I think yeah. that's that's everything I had on, on Jake. He was great. Yeah, pretty honestly, it. we've talked about Jake a fair amount. Uh, One of these days, Carter, we are going to be able to talk about a quarterback who had a multi-year, multi-game, <laughs> impactful Rice career. Uh, we we continue to dream. I'm speaking it into existence in December. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, next up, we have most head-scratching moments. Uh, and for me, this is where we go back to the Charlotte game. Not in the same part. But uh, in the first quarter, they drove down. I Was it Rice's first drive of the game? It may have been the second. I don't really remember. But they... At that point, we're on that streak of like 10 or 11 consecutive fourth down uh, conversions. Yes. And they had converted a fourth and one near midfield earlier in the drive. And then like right inside the red red zone, I think it ended up being a 35 yard field goal attempt. So that was that would be from what, like the 18 mm-hmm. on fourth and one. They decided to kick it. And Christian Van Sickle, you know, I don't blame him too much for this. You'd like to be accurate inside of 40 yards, but Rice's kicking situation being what it was, I was not terribly surprised that he missed it. Um, I I just, I have no idea why in that circumstance you don't just go for that. Yeah. Like, as soon as you mentioned it, I was like, oh, yeah. It's a makeable field goal from 35, but not a chip shot, given how they had been in the kicking game thus far certainly not a guarantee or even you know i don't know i felt like that was was a coin flip essentially rice attempting from 35 yards this season so like and and this offense as good as they had been like you don't want to overrate the momentum factor too much but this is a you know we've talked about time and time again over years that is good at executing on third and fourth and one that is built to convert, you know, just get the couple of feet that you need. Like, it just baffles me. Like, if it's fourth and goal from the five, sure, kick that field goal. Fine. This offense is not, you know, going to be great at making that conversion, especially early in the game when it's not do or die. But I have no idea why on fourth and one from the 18-yard line on a not chip shot field goal, when you had been so good and are built to convert fourth downs, I have no idea why you kick it there. No, I, I, you're you're right, absolutely right. And this this could pick, and I'm pretty sure we were texting about it afterwards. It was oh yeah, it, it was the it was the logical inconsistency that just got me. I was just like, you, you've already said you're going to go for it, and you know you can't kick it, and and I think that's that, so aggressive, like properly calibrated, like not Lane Kiffin against Alabama, although like. Lane Kiffin's going forward against Alabama is a whole different discussion because, like, that that is a case of you play to win, not you play to lose pretty. And I think Lane's decisions there were more defensible than people have acted like because uh, he was trying to win, not to lose pretty. But this was not that. 
they had been if, consistently calculatedly aggressive in moments where every chart, every analytics guy, every model would say you should go for it. And they would absolutely say you should go for it in that situation. And I have no idea why in this particular instance they decided not to. If there was a saving grace, I really felt like that moment was the moment where Rice just quit on kicking. <laughs> like yeah, when that enough. field goal was missed, they were just like, okay, we can't do it anymore. We're just not. And, you know, maybe that helps them down the road. Actually, I don't know if it in, ends up in any more wins, but yeah, I feel like that was a lesson learned the hard way. Um, Yeah, there was, there was probably a longer list for this one than I wanted to admit. My, my most head scratching moment was the the UTEP game, Jake Constantine scrambles on third down and gets tackled from behind and gets hurt. And initially, because of the way he fell and where the marker was, I I thought he'd gotten the first down. Or I thought they might give it to him because he fell well across. I guess his, he got tripped up on the knee and that's what led to the injury just before. But it ended up being fourth and two. And so Luke McCaffrey comes in this game, fourth and two. Rice is needs needs kind of a, a shot in the arm. And McCaffrey's first shot in this game is a deep 40-yard bomb down the left sidelines that's thrown out of bounds. And I it, it's one of those things, if it works, it's brilliant, right? And if it doesn't, it's it's terrible because it didn't work. And I'm totally, totally you know, second guessing a mistake here. Yes, like you can see the logic in it. Um, certainly that nobody will see it coming. But yeah, it wasn't even in bounds. Like that yeah. was that was the issue. Like it was just a, and you know, if if McCaffrey like is still coming along and he's not ready to make that throw or doesn't feel like he can make that throw consistently enough, or maybe he can. And he just got a little bit too much touch on it because. He had to face a real pass rush for the first time in six yeah. weeks. I mean, uh, and maybe you want to say, like, bringing in the backup fourth and two, like, uh, you could make a good argument, I think, that the solid tactical decision would be to throw the ball, especially given McCaffrey's kind of player profile and reputation, that that would be the correct amount of they won't see it coming to just, like, I don't know, throw a quick drag or slant or something, or something an easy completion that they won't be expecting you to throw it, but, like, I would have been completely fine with the it's fourth and two lineup with Jumbo and running up the middle with Ari. And if you get stopped, fine. Yeah. Like, because that happened to them a couple times this season. And right. I was like, it, it happened against Arkansas, the play that I wanted back. <laughs> like, I can still be bummed it doesn't work, but I'm not not upset in how it went down. That was kind of the moment where I was just like, oh, I feel like, because even if like you got jake bailey on the field just run a crosser with, with jake yeah, bailey no, exactly. in the flat like yep. there's there's a and this offense like we saw this year i would wager that they are among the top 10 teams in the country at getting two yards like yep. they just they found one million ways to do it and the fact that the 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 shot there on fourth and two was the call it was one of those things if you have if it's a one score game or you have the lead and you want to put it out like you. I felt like being down, you just had to have points there. And it was it was a, a play that didn't work. So I'm 
that was my most head scratching moment that I'm just like, I don't I don't think the process lined up with what they would say is the most optimal decision. I think it was a hey, I think this could work and not like a let's run the numbers. What's the best chance? And the best chance would have been handing it to Brendan Brendan Suckley up the middle. Like, who knows? <laughs> or even like just any sort of speed option with McCaffrey to the side. Yeah. I would have gone for that too. So yeah, um, that was fun. yeah. So next we have most dominant game. Um, and my first thought here was uh, there wasn't one. <laughs> Rice won four <laughs> games this year. Their their margin of victory in those games were fourteen. That was over Texas Southern. And then the three games they went against FBS opponents were margins of, uh, I believe, six points, five points, and four points. So with three of the four ending with uh, knockdown passes, right? (laughs) Yeah. Um, I don't want to say Texas Southern, even though like the offense scored 600, you know, got 600 yards and they scored 48 points and it was their biggest margin of victory because I... I don't think you can be that uh, gung-ho about a game where one of the worst teams in all of Division One scores uh, 34 points on you. But I think what you got to go with here is UAB, just because it was technically the biggest margin of victory among Rice's three <laughs> FBS wins. And, I mean... And it should have been seven had they not missed the extra point. <laughs> yeah. And, I mean, go, go into Birmingham beat UAB for the first time anybody in Conference USA has done that since the program was restarted. Um, when nobody expected you to, you've just been blown out by UTSA, like shut out and blown out by UTSA. Nobody expected it. Um, that was absolutely Rice's best like overall performance of the season. So I don't know if you would call that a dominant game, but just like an, inc- like an amazing performance overall. Great game from Wiley Green. Uh, they made the plays when they had to. Um, so, yeah, like best game, best performance, maybe not most dominant, but like I think there's a choice here if you were going to pick one particular game to celebrate and it's got to be the UAB win. Yeah, I think that's good. And maybe if I would have if the if they were if the word was not dominant, but it was complete. I feel like that I might have been more most agreeable to because I feel like you got a big contribution. The fake punt was big on special teams. Mm-hmm. You had a, a couple big turnovers by the defense. Defense ended up ending the game with a big play. And then you had Wiley Green. I think dominant performance could have worked too because Wiley Green, I believe, yeah. started this game one for four and then ended the game 16 for 18 with three touchdowns and 200 yards, which is We've never, like, I don't think Mike Collins had a stretch that good. 16 no. for 18, three touchdowns, no picks, and a win on the road. I, Yeah, that might be the be- best quarterback performance we've seen at Rice under Bloomgren, and I, I don't think it's particularly close. So, yeah, I, a do- dominant performance, I, I don't know, yeah, like you're right, it wasn't really a dominant game, but I think the way in which Rice went out and took the lead and held on to it early, it... It didn't feel like, because it very much so could have happened that, you know, UAB was able to take the lead and Rice went back and got a fourth quarter drive to take the lead and then UAB still had to do their Hail Mary thing. It didn't feel like Rice stole this win because the way they came out right. at the beginning. Yeah. And they they were the, UAB was on the ropes the entire time. The fact that they were to come back was a credit to how good UAB is. But yeah, I, Dominant Game, I I will... 
we'll we'll asterisk the dominant, but we'll still celebrate the win. Yeah. And then lastly, a bit of forward thinking optimism here. Player you're most looking forward to in 2022. I tried really hard here to pick somebody that was going to be more like, I don't know, maybe a more interesting discussion, shall we say, like, uh, I don't know, they're losing two starting linebackers. So maybe you go with like Aiden Ciano or Terrence Ellis or, or Kenny Seymour, or maybe uh, you're excited about another year of Gabe Taylor or, uh, uh, shoot, I just totally think, or like DJ Arkansas or something like that. Um, These are all for, good names. <laughs> for me, for me, there are like two choices here. Um, I'll pick one, and I think you can probably guess and take the other if you want. Uh, I'm going to go Luke McCaffrey just because hopefully a full off season in this offense, they can, you know, he can pick up most of it, and what he can't pick up, they can adapt to his skill set. So, um, yeah, there's still, uh, you know. Sky high, definitely like the biggest upside. Like you feel good about given the way McMahon and Green played, and the um, trades will have another year uh, on campus, and they're uh, bringing a guy in Paget, and so you feel generally good about the health of the quarterback room, the the metaphorical health, not the physical health. Where's hopefully. the knocking on the wood? Like I'm wherever we can, just. <laughs> Seem to be okay on the physical health front. Uh, metaphorical health seems very good as well. Uh, but McCaffrey still has by far the highest upside here, and hopefully, given him, uh, uh, you know, all this time on campus over the offseason will really help them, you know, both him growing and them adapting to him, kind of unlock the potential that he has. Yeah, so I kind of, I McCaffrey was the guy I came to the third at the end of all of this, kind of as I was thinking through the two options that I kind of started with were were Bradley Rosner and Braylon Carroll, those two pieces yeah. because they're they're the game breakers. They're the best players that Rice has on the team as far as like people who can who have proven they can produce at Rice here. Uh, McCaffrey's obviously I I still think the most talented from an upside perspective. Um, but those two, I I want DeBraylin Carroll to come out and just be the home wrecker and the all-conference player that we think he yeah. is. Just because I know we can't retrospectively say if we had DeBraylin Carroll, the pass rush would have been good enough and, like, they would have been able to survive and, like, steal another game or two. Like, the season, like, I just want that false hope to be able to be conjured up inside of right. me, I guess. Well, and the pass rush overall, at least in terms of numbers, was improved this year, even if it wasn't great overall. And if you just add in, like, you know, your best player on the defense who also plays, you know, gives you that interior pass rush, which is, like, one of the most valuable things defense can have. Like, think about just the, the like, force multiplier that provides, aside from making – the pass rush itself better, but all of the like chain reaction effects that has down to the rest of the defense or the chain cascade, the way that applies to the rest of the defense. I'm just uh, saying putting him and Blake Banish next to each other again, same thing with Banish getting up to speed, a young guy. I, that might be the best interior combination that Rice has had in quite some time. And I do remember having I guess Roe played inside a little bit too, but Roe and, and Abercrombia and then DeBraylin and Elijah. That's those are two pretty good tandems. I think I think Banish and uh, DeBraylin could be pretty darn special by the time we get to 
conference play next year. That could be fun. So, yeah, that was kind of that's the one I one for me, because I, I really do think that the Debraylin is special and already is special. I don't really need to hope that he will be kind of deal. But right. on the McCaffrey front, maybe I'm realizing that I'm just kind of going to not put all my eggs. I, I feel like this year I put all my eggs in the McCaffrey's going to make this offense great. And I feel like the offense just got pretty good irrespective of McCaffrey. Like, I feel like Rice has a good offense now. It's not great, but it's it's good. And I think he can make that next step. But now my my ask for McCaffrey is incrementally, hey, can you take this from a, a middle tier, you know, middle of the road offense to an above average offense? Not can you take this from a bad offense to a great offense? I feel like that jump is a lot more digestible. And it's probably a lot more digestible given that he's going to have that extra year in the system and he's going to be the guy going through the spring. I think that's probably pretty certain at this point. So, yeah, I think that's I I'm trying not to get myself too hyped up. I don't who knows who's going to be the starting quarterback at Rice in 2022. I would put most of my money on McCaffrey at this point. But, you know, I said that last year and I was wrong. So. Um, yeah, I think McCaffrey, I'm, I, I still think the ceiling is there. I think he has not done as much to prove it as, as DeBraylin, but he's definitely still proven it against FBS competition at Nebraska. So we know what he can do. So putting both of those guys on the field, please. And not having to play the, uh, the murderer's row of non-conference schedule, although we get Lincoln Riley. That'll be fun. Huh. And uh, Western Kentucky has been gutted. I don't think they have anybody left. I think they're they're trotting out the JV team next year. Is that right? So, Yeah. Uh, well, all right. Those are our 2021 Roosies. Um, it's a... Uh, yeah. <laughs> uh, that was a, what a nice tight. Uh, where we at right around an hour? Oh yeah, uh, under under an hour there. So look at us getting getting more efficient. <laughs> the third our, time we do the show, we figured our, our, the off season work is already paying off for us. Uh, hopefully, it will for Rice as well. <laughs> um, but yeah, thanks for sticking through us uh, with us through all of this. We've got uh, one more show, I guess, uh, for. Uh, the early signing period next week before we kind of take our time off. But uh, this is, I guess, our last one that's really about this 2021 season. Uh, It was a strange season for Rice football, as we have said many times, but uh, we certainly had fun doing the podcast. Like I said several times, uh, talking about it either made me uh, not necessarily feel better about (laughs) the season itself, although it did sometimes, but I always enjoyed talking about it more than I thought I would. Like there were several times where I was just like, man, I really don't want to go talk about this right now. And we always uh, seem to have fun doing it. So that hypnotic um, red light. <laughs> yeah. It's stuff, something about it. Just uh, you, you get going, you know, you start ranting about coaching changes and uh, who knows what happens. But uh, uh, thanks to you, Matt, I had a lot of fun doing this this season. And uh, thanks to those, uh, listeners who have stuck with us through it hopefully if you stuck with us through this you must be having some kind of fun with it because i don't know why you would <laughs> after the way the last few years have gone the why you would be sticking with this rice football podcast if you uh didn't enjoy listening to us so uh but yeah, we thank you for your listenership or rice football, right one of the two or both
We won't make you tell us which one. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but we will be uh, back next week to talk talk some Cruton. Uh, so thanks again. Uh, we'll be back and rice fight. This show was edited and produced by Carter Spires. It features music from Joseph McDade.